0: Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 5:33 through 37. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath in all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's try it again. We got to get pumped. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about God's word and what it means for your life today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. I'm Pastor Justin Carl. I'm one of the many elders here at Sojourn Midtown. And this will be my final sermon as a pastor of Sojourn Midtown. I've been serving here six years uh, with great joy and growth in my life, and I've loved serving here as a pastor. And if you haven't heard already, we are leaving uh, to be sent out by Sojourn. Me and about a dozen other adults, Midtown members, will be sent to Birmingham, Alabama. We'll relocate there in May and June to plant Citizens Church. And we are really pumped about it. Yeah, I'm pumped. So thankful for, thank you for your prayers. Thankful for your faithfulness as a fellow member of this church with us. And we covet your prayers going forward. But today we're gonna transition. We did two standalone sermons for Good Friday and Easter, but now we're going back to the Sermon on the Mount, or some have called the Royal Sermon of King Jesus, where Jesus tells us on this earth, This is what it means to live with Jesus as your king. This is the way of wholehearted living, to live as though God actually created you for these things and in the gospels redeeming you to live an entirely new kind of life. And today Jesus is gonna tell us what it's like to talk in the kingdom, what it's like to have our speech in the kingdom. And he says it's to tell the truth. And truth can be complicated business in a fallen world. On the floor of the CIA, maybe the most secretive uh, government agency, the most famous one, it says this etched into the floor, the words of Jesus. It says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And it's telling on the floor of our most secret agency, the work of spies, that they even know the truth. That falsehood and lies will entrap you. They'll poison everything about your life. And it is only the truth that will truly set you free. Falsehood traps us. And this text dives into this using. Oaths Oaths were these ancient parts of the Bible, or not ancient parts of the Bible, it was a common practice in the Bible. And in the ancient world, oaths were everywhere. People in all their business dealings would swear by the temple's gold, or swear by this, or swear by that, to authenticate what they're saying. Every contract, every business dealing, any telling about the past, any future thing, they would take oaths, and they took them all the time. And they said something like, I swear on the temple's gold, or I swear by Jerusalem, or towards Jerusalem. And it was the hope is that it would add a layer of additional truthfulness or seriousness to what they were saying. And today, our our oath-making sounds a bit different, but it's everywhere too. And we say common things like this, I swear to God, I swear on my child. I swear on my mother's grave. Once on a missions trip on a late night, we were playing the social game called Mafia where there's some make-believe in it, and things are getting intense near the end, and a young woman looked at me and said, Justin, swear on Millie's life. And you'd have to ask, is Millie my wife? No. Is Millie my child? No. Is Millie my uh, grandmother? No. This is Millie. Is my Labrador. Things got serious. She knew I was not going to jeopardize the life of my chocolate lab. She's a beautiful dog. Anyways, we swear all the times. And in our culture, as many four-letter words as you shove into the swear as well heightens the seriousness. And I'll let you imagine what those are. But today, let's dive into verse 33. Because without some context, these words will bounce right off of us. But we're going to dive into what Jesus is meaning and speaking about oaths historically throughout the Bible and in his day, and let that then sink into us. What does it mean for you to tell the truth? What does it mean for us to be a people of truth-telling? Look at verse 33 with me. It says, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here, but he's quoting at least four different passages all at once. He is quoting from Leviticus, numbers, Deuteronomy, and Ecclesiastes. And it proves the point that oaths are a reality of the Bible, and oaths are everywhere in Jesus' day, in our day. In fact, God even swears oaths in the Old Testament. Who does he swear by? Himself, because he's the source of all truth. In Numbers 5 and 6, he even commands God's people to swear oaths in certain circumstances. And in Deuteronomy, he has a whole list of instructions of how to properly take and uphold an oath. And the point of God's teaching on oaths the most is, hey, you're the people of God. You can take an oath in God's name, but if you take an oath in God's name, you better fulfill it. Because to take a gothanod's name and not fulfill it is going to invoke God's wrath or punishment because you've taken his name in vain. You've said, I swear to God to do X, and if you do Y, punishment will come, curse will come. And furthermore, you shouldn't use God's name in any flippant way at all because his name is holy. And we see in the Old Testament, most of these patriarchs, these, these big figures in the faith, they take these righteous vows at some point in their life. But the most famous oath-making part of the entire Old Testament is actually a disaster. It comes at one of the lowest points of Israel's life. There was a man named Jephthah, and in Judges 11, he says this. He was a leader. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to you I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my tent to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So this leader, Jephthah, makes this foolish vow. He says, basically, whatever comes out of my tent, if I win the battle, I'll then sacrifice it. Was this necessary in any way? No. Did the Lord require it in any way? No. Why would anyone oath such a thing? I don't know. And you have to say, how could this not end poorly? Yo, Jethatha, it's your tent, bro. This is heading to a bad direction. And the first thing that comes out of his tent after his victory is his daughter. Look with me at verse 34 and 35. When Jethitha returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him playing on a tambourine, and dancing for joy. She was glad to see her dad. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster upon me, and I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Apart from some serious blame-shifting issues here, (laughs) Jephthah has made a foolish, horrific vow. Our words matter. I tell you this famous story because in the hearers of the Sermon on the Mount, they would have this in their collective imagination as a mostly Jewish audience. That Jesus' reflection on oaths is going into all that has been said and done about oaths throughout the Bible, and our rash oaths can lead us into, at best, foolishness, and at worst, unspeakable tragedy, the devastation of a family and likely a whole community over something like this. But oaths, promises, contracts, these are a reality in a fallen world where truth can be feel up for debate. When things feel non guaranteeable or unsteady, we are prompted to make promises or oaths. But like the story above, Jesus is pointing out something has gone wrong with our oath-making. And this is how Jesus goes about setting it right. Look with me at verse 34 and beyond. It says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great city of the king. And do not take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus says, don't take oaths. And then he drops four specific examples of these oaths we should not take. And it helps us because it prompts the three big problems in their day about what was wrong with oaths. And they're right here in the text. The first thing that was wrong with oaths in their day was substitution. The Jewish people were so scared of taking the Lord God's name in vain, they pumped in all these substitutes by heaven, by earth, I'll swear, by Jerusalem, by the temple's gold, all sorts of things like that as substitutes. And in fact, we have from that period whole essays by rabbis expounding all the various substitutes for the name of God and then deciphering how binding they are, which ones were like more like God's name and which ones were like kind of not like God's name and which ones could you kind of break sometimes, but trying to keep the truth. And the thing is, it got so... intense and and just detailed that rabbinical courts, when people broke these oaths, rabbis had to get together and decide what exactly had to be done with these substitute oaths. One example from the first century I found is a man who had sweared by Jerusalem that I will give my neighbor my donkey. Apparently, he does not give the donkey. They go to court. And the rabbis decide, because he said, by Jerusalem, Instead of toward Jerusalem, he was less accountable, and it wasn't quite in the name of God. So we're getting down to prepositions within the oaths. This is an adventure in missing the point. This is an adventure in missing truth-telling and who God is in our life and how we relate to one another. And this is what Jesus is confronting. Because the first problem is people were taking substitutes, and the second problem arose from it that people were deliberately using and abusing the substitution and oath formula system to deceive each other. They were taking increasingly tricky or oddly worded or obscure or flippant oaths with outsized penalties sometimes in order to deceive or make their dealings murky. The mechanism that should prompt greater truthfulness has actually become a mechanism of deceit and lying. And Jesus is confronting this. And the third problem also stems from it. Because we're taking these oaths kind of all the time, these oaths were just not necessary. They were invoking oaths over themselves and others over just things that were not necessary to take an oath for. So we had these outsized penalties and this misspoken of speech Everywhere, And Jesus highlights this with the head reference. There should be almost no circumstances that you swear on your very own life that the next thing you say is true. There's a foolish and a flippant evil about putting human life up into your oath, even if it's your own. And Jesus is putting an end to all this. Jesus confronts all this because it falls short of telling the simple truth. He picks these common oaths to make a grander and greater point. He says, Don't swear by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Don't swear by heaven, for it's the throne of God. Why? Because God owns heaven. It's simply not yours to swear by. Also, don't swear by earth. For it is the footstool of the Lord. Once again, we don't own earth. God owns earth. And that's logical. But Jesus is quoting Isaiah 66, 1. That's exactly what it says, that the earth is his throne. The uh, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He's reading back to them the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, by Jerusalem, don't swear by the great city Jerusalem, because it's for the great king. And once again, Jesus is quoting Psalm 48, verse 2, that says exactly that. Only God controls the destiny of the bricks of Jerusalem and whose king it is. It is not ours to swear by. And Jesus is correcting him here, saying regardless of your rabbinical courts, regardless of your essays, regardless of your attempt to adhere to the law of God, you're missing the point. All these substitutes are substitutes for God's name. If you break a vow, you break it before God, and there's no getting around that, guys. And hey, don't use these to mislead people. All of that is foolishness. And the last example Jesus gives us, he says, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And that brings us back to that Jephthah. Don't make a foolish oath, because God owns even you. Even with all of our autonomy to think and move and have our being, we can't naturally change our hair or stop it from turning gray. We can't. So if God is over our biology and God is over the heavens and God is over the earth and God is over every city everywhere and God is over the future, this brings us to Jesus' bigger point and issue. That we shouldn't have substitutes, we shouldn't have deception, we shouldn't have rashness because it's all missing the point that if God is truly over us, then we're always under oath. If God is over the heavens and the earth and the cities and our lives, then we are a people who is always under oath whether we took a vow or not because we are accountable to a Lord God who misses nothing. To speak is to speak before the Lord. In Matthew 12, Jesus will expound and say, there's not a single empty word that will leave your mouth that you will not be held accountable one day before the judge. He says to make any promise is to make a promise before God. We don't get to edit our story when God is present and not present. We don't get to cut him out of some of our words or sayings just because we did an oath or didn't do an oath. God is God all the time and he happily reigns over all things, which puts us as his people and creation under oath all the time. It's unavoidable. All this silly oath making is silly when considering the God who is over all. To deceive others with our oath-making is to deceive yourself. Because God knows. Look at Hebrews 4.13. It expounds on this. It says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. Christian, to follow Christ is to always be under oath whether you've taken some vow or not. You vowed yourself to Christ when you followed him. And interestingly enough, Matthew's gospel goes on to drop three different examples of oaths. And this is where the Bible's beautiful. We drop this big, rough word on oaths, and then Matthew says, check this out. This is how it plays out in life. And the first uh, instance of an oath is Matthew 14, it's Herod the tetriarch. He's like a local king, and he throws a big party for all of his friends and important people, and his stepdaughter comes and does some sort of dance that apparently pleases him and his guests, and he makes a promise to her, a rash vow, says, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And she turns and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I'd like you to murder this man right now. And it so happens, Herod has John the Baptist locked down in a back room as his prisoner, And so reluctantly, because even Herod thought that this was a holy man, he brings him out, he has him executed, and puts his head on a platter for all to see. A holy prophet of God slaughtered on a silly oath. The next example is just as dark. We see at the Last Supper, Jesus finishes and then foretells his death again mere hours before his arrest and moving to the cross. And one of the disciples, Peter, cries out, he says, I'll never deny you, Jesus, even if I die. And that's sort of like an oath, but only a few verses later as the trial progresses, you'll find Peter, cowered in a corner, in the shadow of his suffering savior, arrested and being beaten swearing an oath to a little girl, saying, I swear I don't know him, before the rooster crows. The last oath we see is also from Matthew 26. It's the high priest Caiaphas. And he's questioning Jesus in the sham trial in the middle of the night. They're hitting Jesus' face. And he says, I adjure you by the living God. I call you into account before the living God. Have you claimed that you are God? takes an oath, trying to manipulate Jesus. Jesus answers in the affirmative that he has claimed he's God. Then he drops this line to Caiaphas. He says, the next time you see me, I'll be at the right hand of the power. For any Jewish ear, they're hearing that that Jesus is claiming the next time they see each other, Jesus will be coming back for the judgment of the entire world as God. Jesus is leaning in to reorient Caiaphas. Caiaphas, you think you're in control in this courtroom, and I got news, you're not in control. It's God who is over you, Caiaphas, and it is you who is under oath. And the message is the stark same to us. Who are we kidding? Our lives are laid naked before the God Almighty. It is we who are under oath. God is never on trial. It is our words, our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, our secrets. As Alcoholic Anonymous says, you're as sick as your secrets. We are to be a people of great truth. So, what is Jesus teaching about oaths? What is all this about? Why is he bringing it up? I want to take you back to verse 34, but also pop you to verse 37. It says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus has said, don't take an oath at all. Then he gives us four examples of these kind of oaths. And then he corrects us to start saying, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's the same as in the book of James. gives a very similar recommendation. In some Christian traditions, like the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, and especially the Quakers, they have taken this and run with it, saying they refuse to take any oath or enter into any contracts. And for centuries, this has put them at odds with local governments. Governments like oaths and contracts. And they have borne a heavy price to not enter into these sorts of agreements. And while I think that's a valid interpretation of the words of Jesus, I also think things get a bit more complicated than that when we consider the entirety of the Bible. Because as we look over the rest of the New Testament, we realize Paul makes no less than five oaths inside Holy Scripture. I mean, the man makes an oath every other letter. And they're pretty plain. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27 here. It says, I put you under oath, this is the end of his letter, before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. That's about as oathy as it gets. The man is taking oaths. And so we see this, and then we remember, well, God has been making oaths kind of the whole story of the Bible, and the New Testament affirms this. So oaths can't be evil in and of themselves because God has no part in evil. And then further it's confirmed when you look at Revelation 10, you have all the angels gathered around the throne of God taking an oath to God of their fidelity and loyal and his honor forever. So you have this moment of what are we to do with Jesus' words, do not take an oath at all. Because in Greek it says, do not take an oath at all. There is no getting around that but two important principles come into play of how we interpret the Bible. And it's a, it's a moment where we got to learn it together here. So we interpret the Bible well forever. And the first principle is this, a statement in the Bible can sound universal. Do not take an oath, but there's still historical context to consider. A statement can sound universal, but there's still historical context to consider. Here, the context is sinful substitutes for God's name, deceptive oaths, rash oaths, running rampant in their context. And the Bible's principles are always universal for us, but the applications might be different in our context. It's not a way of ignoring what the Bible says. No, it's to take it more seriously say, what is the principle that God is conveying through any given Scripture that must absolutely be obeyed, and how does that look in our context faithfully? That's the first principle. second principle is this, is whenever Scripture seems to disagree with itself, like here, we must interpret Scripture in light of the rest of Scripture. We must interpret the hard parts of Scripture in light of the whole of Scripture. We must consider everything the Bible has to say about a topic, and then think critically together how best to obey. Which brings us to, well, what's going on here? What do we do with do not take oaths? And I think it's most helpful to think of Jesus' words on oaths like we think about his words on divorce just the verses prior. And how he treats both lust and anger prior to that. Because Jesus keeps using the same formula in his Sermon on the Mount, in this part, that you have heard it said, but now I say to you. And when we consider all the things Jesus says on divorce, we can read Matthew 5, and the verses just right before it, but we also have to read Matthew 19, which is a little later in the book, on the certificate of divorce was given for the hardness or weakness of the human heart. The certificate of divorce was given for the hardness or weakness of the human heart. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus communicates that marriage is for lifelong faithfulness. To break a marriage is a very serious issue. And the certificate of divorce business was given for the weakness or hardness of heart, and that needs to change because it was being abused. And Matthew 19 talks about that, and historically we know that people were divorcing people over his wife burning uh, dinner was an example that you could give someone a get or a divorce certificate. And Jesus is saying that needs to change. We gave the certificate of divorce business so that... For your weakness of heart, but that needs to change that you are to love and be faithful to one another and to take divorce very seriously. Likewise with oaths, Jesus is saying speech is for lifelong truthfulness and that you're always under oath. To traffic in lies or misleading speech is a serious issue. Oaths, This oaths business was for your weakness because we couldn't believe one another, so we were given these oaths. But it needs to change how you are acting. They don't need to be rash, deceptive, or substitutive. And Jesus is calling us to a heart level, a wholehearted obedience with our speech to tell the truth. Is Jesus throwing out marriage or even divorce in all circumstances in light of Scripture? No. Is Jesus throwing, throwing out making promises, commitments, contracts, oaths, or vows in light of all of Scripture? No. Is Jesus redefining these practices in light of what it means to follow him? Absolutely. He's saying things need to change. If you want to follow Jesus on earth as it is in heaven, you need to treat your marriage, you need to treat your speech, you need to treat your lust, you need to treat your anger, you need to treat your justice coming up next week, you need to treat your retaliation. That stuff needs to change to follow me in a heavenly way here on earth. And so the way of wholeheartedness for our speech is to tell the truth all the time. What we mean, we need to say what we mean, church, and mean what we say. In First Timothy, the church is called a pillar and buttress of the truth. The goal for our church, one big goal, would be with such truth tellers that everyone looks to us for truth. And they might not agree with our Jesus, but they look and they say, at least they're going to tell me how it is. At least they'll be honest with me. I might not love that coworker, but at least they're not going to cheat me. At least when I ask him a question, they give an answer. At least I know who I'm dealing with. That is what we are called to be as a people who tell the truth all the time. And we obey the third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain, when we traffic in all honesty. To traffic in dishonesty at all as a Christian is to take the Lord's name in vain because we are the Lord's people. All we do is in Jesus' name. And to do anything false or dishonest or wrong is to blaspheme the name of God. Furthermore, like the ninth commandment says, we are called to not bear false witness. Why? And it needs to be said. Every time we deceive at all, we join the father of lies in this world, the devil. We add to the deception of all the world, to the deceit and the lies of all the world, and it hurts people. It hurts ourselves, and it hurts others. And we are to have no part of either thing. Telling the truth should sound like being wise, being simple, and being solemn. You need to be wise in our speech. We need to be wise in our speech. And being wise asks, is it necessary to take an oath here at all? Let's put an end to frivolous oaths. We don't need to swear on our mama's grave for anything. We can just say yes or say no. We're also called to be simple. When we say yes, people should know what we mean by yes. Maybe we need to explain what we mean by yes, but our yes should be sure and our no should be sure. And that means, do you need to ask some questions? Do you need to figure out what's really being asked of you? Do you need to figure out what really it will take to say yes to these things? Do you need to consult some wisdom of friends and the Bible and and mentors or people you respect in your life? Do all that. It's not saying rush to say yes and no. It's saying when you say yes, when you're at that moment or say no, people should know you mean it. People should know you mean it, and you will gain honor through that, that people honor your word. Because what we do when we swear on other things, when we try to make oaths, it's to make up for a lack of personal credibility or an insecurity before other people that we feel. What if we, instead of grabbing at authority or credibility or trying to buttress up our integrity, we just trafficked in humility? To say, you know what, I've, bl- I've blown it sometimes. Yeah, in that area, I- I've, really, I've really blown it. I-, I lied to you on this occasion, this occasion. I messed that up. I'm really sorry, and I mean it, but I don't know if I even trust myself, but I'm asking that you would trust me and help me and hold me accountable as my friend. How refreshing would it be to hear that instead of, oh, I, I swear on my dog, or I swear on my house, or swear on something like that, to just say... I want to have humility because Proverbs 18.2 says humility comes before honor. Do you want your word to be honorable? Then be humble. How different would it have been if Peter just said, Jesus, this sounds like a lot. You're going to be crucified? Lord, pray for me. Instead of saying, I'll die before I deny you, Lord. He could have not been a fool. He could have been wise. He could have been humble. He could have been honorable. See, when we take oaths outside of the legal demands, it's always an attempt to make our words ourselves seem bigger than we are. When we're called to be humble, wise, simple speakers. And what it means to be solemn, I love that word. It just means we remember we are under God and therefore we are under oath that we do all things before Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, we've taken a vow that Jesus is the Lord of truth. and He's the Lord of our life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes a father except through him, and the truth will set you free. As we follow Jesus, there's a solemnness. The truthfulness starts to eke out of all of our life that no falsehood can remain because it's entrapping us and it has to do with sin, that we become this people of the light. So when we make oaths, and we can make these commitments, contracts, promises, we should do them to match the size of the commitment. If you're getting married, you should take some Vows. You should tell the other person what you're agreeing to in this marriage. As you become a member at this church or, or a leader at this church, you're going to take vows, but we take them with sobriety. We don't put it on someone's head, on, on a person's head, or we, we, we don't put it on money. We, we take our vows before God and before one another. And that's how the church becomes this huge just bowl of truth to drink from. A whole people of God in a world of lies telling the truth no matter the cost. That's what God wants for you. He wants truth and is so passionate about because God is the source of all truth. When you tell the truth, you're being like God. And here's the greatest truth of all the truths is that God has made an oath to you. Look with me at Hebrews 6 and drink deep. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and an the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, that is to save sinners, very clear to the heirs, that is the church, of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The two unchangeable things that God swears by is by his own character and his own word that he never lies. That means his oath shall never break. Your sin cannot break. God's oath to you of grace to redeem you from the clutches of hell and deliver you into eternal life with God. It is unchangeable, unbreakable, and this is the oath he makes to you. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Be encouraged, church. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What is this anchor? Well, it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever. Church, God made an oath starting in Genesis 3 in his mind before that of all eternity that he would send his son to be an anchor for you forever. The standard of truthfulness is not your power to uphold all your commitments but it is your ability just to grab on to the truth, the anchor of Jesus Christ that is firm and secure in all things. When you're flaky and you make mistakes, guess who's not? Who's not? Jesus. Guess who lives behind the veil of the temple, that place where they sacrifice animals? Jesus sacrificed for us that we would have an anchor that is firm and secure that God oathed to us. The basis of our truth-telling starts with the person of truth in Christ, and he has promised to you an anchor that does not change at all. When you blow it and don't tell the truth, you have a great high priest forever to repent to and move on with your life. And when you need to tell the truth, you can say to the best of my ability, I trust in a God who is an anchor to my soul. I will move forward. God is more committed to you than you will ever be committed to God. Jesus signed this oath on the night he was betrayed with his broken body and his shed blood. Took a loaf of bread and he broke it. They said, this is my body, broken for you. And they took a cup of wine and blessed it and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new oath, the new contract, the new deal, shed for you. Jesus signs the oath that becomes our anchor with his very own blood. And that's what we celebrate in communion. It's our tradition for the front half of the room to come to the front, back half of the room to go to the back. Gluten-free communion is on my left, your right. It's also alcohol-free communion. Our tradition is to break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine marked by twine or the juice, whatever your conscience permits. If you are not a Christian, I ask that you stay seated in this time and just have reflection upon what would it take to tell the truth. Do I have a God of truth that I can trust? If you are a Christian, I ask that you solemnly, wisely, simply come up here and repent and say, Lord, I have always fallen short, but Lord, you have made an oath to me that you will be my anchor. Therefore, in confidence, I take this bread, I dip this wine, it's for me. Church, let us tell the whole world the whole truth about Jesus, for we are under oath.